Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? All right, we're back. All right. Welcome back, Portia. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here again. <laughs> hey, hey. Okay, so let's start off with this podcast you did. You mm-hmm. did a podcast episode on boundaries. Let's yes. heal together. Make the most marginalized voices the ones most heard. What inspired mm-hmm. this focus and why is this an important, important piece in the anti-Black racism work? Right. You asked me in the last episode what, what, what my why is for life. And I asked that same question, or I have people ask themselves that same question. What is your why in your decolonizing work, in your anti-racism work? And I, and I tell them to do that because if their why starts off with, I want to be a better person. I want to be viewed better. I want to feel good about myself. That gives them the indication that they're still thinking about themselves first that their priority is them, and they're hoping that by appearing good, they will do good. Whereas if your why is to dismantle systems of oppression and to uplift the voices of Black people, Indigenous people, and other people of the global majority, then you focus on that work. Your priority is actually decolonizing and deconstructing and dismantling. And because of that, then you then you start to heal. You start to heal the parts of yourself that have been destroyed by white supremacy. You get to heal these parts of yourself that were handled in such a way that you didn't have control on because you didn't know how to take that part of your life back. And it all comes from, again, if you're doing decolonizing work, it's not centering. You have to have your goal. And so listening to the voices and understanding that those voices, when they are being spoken, when those voices are saying things, words are being uttered, they need to be the loudest words. You don't have to speak over them. You don't have to speak for them. You have the opportunity to take the privilege and the access that you have and shift their voices into the spaces where it needs to be. I'm having so many feelings as you're saying that, because obviously I agree with you. And I want I want systems to start to put that in action. There's, there's a lot of alleged listening that's going on. What does that look like in action? Right. Right? There's been listening happening for many years, and especially from 2020 forward. I'm listening and learning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a phrase I could probably do without forever. <laughs> but listening is it, listening is completely, it, it doesn't have any value behind it if there's no action that comes from what you're actually listening to. If I sit and do the work that I do, and you just listen and listen and listen, and you don't take it to your life offline, then you've wasted everybody's time. You've wasted my time and and talking. You've wasted your time and not listening with intention. You've wasted the the world's time by not taking it beyond yourself and actually creating a ripple effect that comes back to the individualism. You know, when people absorb what we have to say, anti-racist educators, but they keep it to themselves, what does that do? What does that do? So, yeah, it needs to be in, in further systems. If we're talking about things that Black people are without, then we need Black voices talking about that. If we're talking about things that Indigenous people are missing, then we need Indigenous people to talk about them, 
right? Have the people that are actually affected by the harm be the ones talking about the harm. Yeah, it's like when someone, you know, will say in in comments, you know, that's not racism, who's white bodied. And I just want to say, well, how how would you even know? (laughs) Oh, man. The comments. We could write a book about all a book the comments. About the co- could you imagine? Like just it'd be, it'd be 800,000 pages long. And whiteness is either that's not racism or that's racist. It, it, yeah. for, for a group of people that don't believe in racism, they are quick to call out reverse racism. Pick a battle. Just pick a struggle. You, you don't get to have it both ways. Which one is it? You know? <laughs> so that brings me that. Okay, I'm going to. Okay, I'm, I'm going in two different places now. I'm going back to another podcast you did because I, I love these two podcasts you did, but I don't want to forget what just came up for me. Okay. Which is within the queer community, you know, LGBTQIA plus community, mm-hmm. the unaddressed white supremacy. If, you, <laughs> if anybody's watched me over the years, you know, that's a real bone of mine to pick being an elder in the community, all the ways mm-hmm. in which I'm expected to change and evolve. And yet white, pers- white supremacy still persists and mm-hmm. still is active mm-hmm. and, and take a struggle. That's what made me think of it. Yep. What, what yeah. are your thoughts? I want queer people. I, I need for queer people, queer white people to remember that they are white first. What happens a lot in, in the queer community is because white people are queer, they now feel like their oppression is more important than anybody else's, right? I have seen it where I've talked about something that has happened to me. And somebody says, oh, I see that too in their queer community. And when I respond that queer people come in black too, meaning that I understand that because I've experienced it, now I'm the bad person for not hearing a queer voice. Negating the fact that I am black and queer. I am full, like full-blown lesbian. So I am part of this community, right? But that's the biggest thing is remembering that they're white first, that it's not the oppression Olympics. And if it ever were to be that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that black women are going to win that every single time. But breaking down and and moving away from the white supremacy and the queer queer community is it's really a simple you're white first. You're white first. You can be white and gay, white and bi, white and poly, white and pan, any of those things. But you're white first, which means that if we're standing in a line and we're talking about anti-queer and anti-black rhetoric, you can appear to be straight and you don't have to deal with any of that. You might internalize it, but are you directly harmed by it? No, because nobody knows that you're queer. For me, if I wanted to, I could tuck my queer away, but I'm black all day long. You don't know how I appreciate hearing that. I have been thinking that. <laughs> I've been saying that for so many years and taught in spaces where I just got completely ostracized because I put my blackness first and and lead with that and just just so much hate from within the community itself. It's like, how do you do? How how do you do that? Right. It's I mean it's terrible because all of a sudden this this solidarity and this unity that we're supposed to have as queer people goes by the wayside. If you spend any time on Twitter, which is the place where critical and cognitive thinking goes to die, you can honestly see the white queers over there have so much anti-blackness. It is re- 
ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the minute you say something, you're homophobic. I, that's not actually how that works. <laughs> right. I just. <laughs> yeah. He, he said Twitter is where critical thinking goes to talk. Ghost, it's a wasteland. It is a wasteland over there. And every day I go to that app and I'm like, what what fresh hell am I going to see today? And it's always something. It never disappoints. It never, ever disappoints. I guess that's why I never, I never survive. Stay away them. from it. Stay away from it. And now, and now it's X with, you know, what's his name running it. And so he, he's, he's let go of any type of safety for people like he doesn't respond to harassment claims and all that. so it's just it's the wasteland have you seen the lion king like the i have not <laughs> seriously okay <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies but there's a scene where mufasa is talking to his son simba and they're looking over the pride lands right of, of what is theirs and then there's this spot beyond that it's tumbleweed and it's dusty and the, Mufasa says, you must never go there. And that is what I like in Twitter, too, is the tumbleweed and <laughs> just dusty and nothing over there. <laughs> and now I need you to watch The Lion King. This is, I am <laughs> having feelings about that. <laughs> I can hold space for your feelings. Thank you. Thank you. That took me by surprise. Absolutely. Sorry. I can hold space for your feelings and I can... I can acknowledge them wholeheartedly. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay. You did another episode. Black women, respect what you hear when you hear it. Why is it, why is it that black women, cisgendered, lesbian, hetero, and trans are mm -hmm. still the most disrespected and silenced women? You spoke to this, but I'd like you to elaborate if, any, if you have anything else to add. Yeah. Something that I something that I see a lot, especially with white women, and if we're going to use like the white women, black women relationship here. White women don't want to hear what black women have to say for a number of reasons. Number one, it takes attention away from themselves. That's the, that's the biggest one. And number two, they don't like hearing from black women when a black woman says you are not going to be able to relate to this. You might not understand what I'm saying, but what I'm telling you is the truth. But whiteness and needing to be the center of attention and be involved in everything, they try to take a scenario and liken it to something that happened in their lives. And it's just not going to happen. So when you say that, like, hear it first, believe it and respect it first and then understand it later. That takes you out of the center of it. That puts you in a position where you have to listen to what's being said to you. You have to respect what's being said to you because you've been saying white women listen to black women. So you actually have to listen to what's being said. And then as it, it, if you listen with the intention of actually learning something, you recognize the ways that white women will recognize this is not something that I can experience. It might be something similar, but it's going to be different. Everything's going to be different with that layer of blackness on it. And 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 that's what I want people to do, especially white women. Just listen for a minute. Just listen. It is fine. You know, I'm going to say I don't even need them to understand. Just accept. Just accept it. Just, just accept just, it. If you end up understanding that, that's a bonus for everybody involved. But still understand that you're understanding the situation, but you're not relating to it. You're not relating to it. White women need and this is partially and this is going back to just how they are because they've got their husbands that leave them and 
a whole nother conversation, but white women just have to be involved and they can't find a way to be involved without, again, being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think it has something, this is sort of a leading question, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Do you <laughs> think that has something to do with birthing patriarchy? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, white women, can I swear on this? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Because white women <laughs> uphold the patriarchy. Like you said, they birth the patriarchy, they raise the patriarchy, they fuck the patriarchy. Like, <laughs> That's the reason why it keeps going. That's the reason why it keeps going. I'm not going to tell anybody not to to get their pleasure, but understand if you're not true to who you are and if you don't know who you are, then you're just perpetrating. You're just adding to this system. And you're adding to this system because you still benefit from it. White women need to know that they still benefit from the patriarchy. They, they, they absolutely do. Because the men that are in office, even though they're making laws that are detrimental to all white women, it's going to hit y'all last. It hits them last. It's going to go through us first. It's like my head's nodding off. I feel like one of those yeah. bobbles. <laughs> yes. But they need to recognize, they need to recognize their participation in, in that system specifically. And, you know, I use the example, there was a video I did a while back and it really, it, it clicked for some women. And I said, White women, when you talk about your husbands or your partners and you talk about how annoyed you are by the fact that they don't listen to you and you repeat the same thing over and over again and over and over again and over and over again and you get to a point where you just snap and you're so mad at your husband, Kevin, you're like, Kevin, damn it, I told you to do X, Y, and Z. If you can recognize that frustration from your partner or your spouse, but then you can't recognize it when a black woman has been telling you the same exact thing and you keep showing up the same exact way and we get to our point where like, I'm done. And now you want to cower and say, why are you being so mean to me? You're doing what your husband did. And your husband does it because you've allowed him to do it. Yeah, and you taught it to your kids. And you taught it to your kids. So they're going to do it. And your kids do it to you too as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, facts. So this anti-Black racism life can wear on the global majority. We know that. Yes. We have a sense of urgency in our bodies that it's not about we're doing something because we think it's right. We're doing something because we're trying to live and have people who look like us live. Mm-hmm. What do you do in your moments of hopelessness? I think because we all, we all have them. We do. I'm going to come at this as two ways because you said something that I want to touch on. You said we have this sense of urgency to want it to be better, right? Mm-hmm. A sense of urgency is a characteristic of white supremacy. So... The reason why I'm saying that is what I do for my own peace is I remember that rest is an act of resistance. Rest is an act of liberation. And rest is a requirement, not a reward. The sense of urgency isn't helping anybody because we're rushing to do things. And what we're actually fighting for isn't working. Yes, it would be really easy to say, I want people to stop being anti-Black. But what do we do about the systems that are in place? that are anti-Black? What do we do about the laws that are in place, the sentencing, the, the medical disparities? What do we do about those things? And so if we're only rushing to fix people, that still leaves a mess behind. And if we're not doing the things cohesively, then it's not going to work the way that it needs to. So back to what I do as I rest, you know, I crochet. I yes, you do. I do. I do. I picked that back up after like 20 years. It's been perfect for putting the phone down. I like to cook. 
I will have dance parties with my dog. I do things that that make me smile. I do things that bring me some joy. You know, I'll spend time with my best friend who, you know, I moved out to Chicago to to be closer to her, but also just I love the city. But I, I find ways to pour into myself to remember that I deserve to be loved too, that even though I'm providing so much for other people, I got to make sure I'm okay too. You know, I used to have such a hard time with that when I was younger, like 30 years ago when I was really, really in the struggle, the way in which you are without social media, I used mm-hmm. to feel so guilty having any time off or being, or, or you know, resisting with joy or, or anything like that. And I had to learn over the years, the wear and tear, I've had to learn that, you know, our resistance shows up in ways that are self-nurturing. Mm-hmm. And in therapy, and I definitely teach that in my, to my clients in therapy, and I use that when I teach as a, as an adjunct professor. And it's so important because I I wanted to bring that up because I hear you say that all the time on social media. I hear you really share that message with your with your community, and yeah, and I think it's an important one. I I so I've been in therapy like an active participant in therapy for two years. I've done therapy for many, many years, but an active participant for the last two years, which has been... Welcome back. Thank you. Whoa. Thank you. That is why I'm able to do what I do because I have my my resource to take care of myself. I also am a suicide attempt survivor. Thank you um, for sharing that. Yeah, I'm a three-time survivor. Actually, I just had a life anniversary back in September, which was my wow. eight-year life anniversary, so a really special one. And... I know if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not tapping into yourself and checking on yourself and just going, going, going and going at whatever direction that is, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether it's family, whether it's a relationship, if you're not checking in with you, if you're not touching in with you, part of you starts to die. Like that's that's the most blunt way I can say it. Part of you starts to die. And from my experience personally, when those little pieces started to die, at the time, I wanted to just catch up, right? Like, like, I can say that. And so snapping out of that and realizing that I want to be here. I want to be here. And the best way for me to be here is to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, that I am loving on myself as much as I love on other people. So now you just added a question. I'm good at that. <laughs> what, what made you decide you wanted to be here? Because I love being alive. Mm-hmm. I love being alive. I love my people. I'm meant to be here. I know, I know fully, even with having an eight-year life anniversary, I think over the last two years, even since losing my dad, I lost my dad in 2019, but, and I thought that that was going to destroy me. But I know that I'm meant to be here. I'm not done. I'm not done. I have too much left to do. I have too much to say. I have too much to see. It's not my time to go yet. Do you mind if I add one thing to that without go knowing? Go right ahead. I get the sense that your people have let you know that you need to be here, which I think is an also a very, very important part of people who have life anniversaries instead of anniversaries of un- unaliving. Mm-hmm. It is that, and over the last couple of years, I have been intentional with the relationships that I have, and it, they're people that know me. They're, they, they're people that know me, that, that they want me here. And they're able to pick up on those times. I mean, I, I have depression. I have P, 
PTSD, I have anxiety, all of those good things, right? And so they're able to, I love them because they know me so well, they can see if a spiral is coming. They can see if a swing is coming. And they're beautiful because they don't come in and try to fix it, but they make sure that I know that they're with me along the way. And that's so important. I don't need anybody to fix me, but I just need to know that somebody's there. And I think it's, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am lucky. I am grateful. I can say blessed, but which is weird because I'm deconstructed Christian, but you know, it's, it's a blessing. That's a yeah. whole, that's a whole other offshoot. But yeah, yeah. I have people that are beautiful. I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm a lucky person. You know, I think that's what, thank you. And I think that's what makes suicide so devastating for the ones left behind mm-hmm. is because they were there. They thought they were loving on somebody. They thought they mm-hmm. were letting somebody know. They thought they were holding somebody. And then when that person still just doesn't want to be here anymore, it does feel very personal. And it's heartbreaking because I, I believe the person gone would would say something different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, absolutely. Get that. I've been right. on both sides. I've been somebody that's attempted and I've been somebody that has grieved a person that died by suicide. So like you say, being a person that's attempted and looking at it from that point, it has nothing to do with anybody else, right? When that mindset for me had nothing to do with anybody else. It was just me. And so I can see like how somebody else would be hurt by that. And it's difficult because if you die, you're not here to, to give that explanation. Being on the other end of it, grieving somebody it can feel like all of the pain that they felt spills all over you. And maybe this is like, this is maybe something else I'm supposed to mention. I guess with being a a survivor and then being someone that's grieved, you can recognize that it really isn't about them leaving. It really isn't even about you not doing enough. It, It just got to be too much. Yeah. And sometimes that happens. It just gets to be too much. I think that is incredibly important to say there isn't enough conversation about how sometimes it's just too much for some people. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you're right. They don't get to come back and explain to you that it just got to be too much, but really simplistically that is, that's the essence of it. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I mean, it comes back to, again, that's another reason why community is so important. I will talk about community until I'm blue in the face. Because community allows for those moments where it seems like it's too much that you have that that outlet. That maybe it's too much and maybe you feel like it's too much to go on. But if you are blessed to have the community, then you get that opportunity to think, is it my time or do I have some things left to do? So it just, I think it, it's important to be it's important to be loved. It's important mm-hmm. to allow people to love you. It's important to to share that love with somebody else, whatever that love looks like, platonic, romantic, whatever the case may be. It's it's just important to have people. Mm-hmm. It's important yeah. to have people. Having people is important. I mm-hmm. agree. Listen, before I outro, please tell everyone where they can find you if they don't already know, your social media handles, your merchandise, all of it. Yes. So my... Uh, Instagram and TikTok is Portia, P-O-R-T-I-A dot Noir, N-O-I-R. I'll tell you a funny little story. A lot of people think that Noir is because I'm Black and it's actually because I love wine. So it's a playoff Pinot Noir. It just works both ways. We love a little fascinated. 
See, we love a multifaceted thing. If you are on the hellscape that is Twitter, it is Portia Noir without the dot in the middle. And on any one of those sites, I have a link tree where you can find my merchandise. It is called The Place Where Portia-isms Go to Live. There are the things that I say. There's a lot of good stuff on there. I, I love that site. I I also love the your individual podcasts that I've seen. I've really, really yes. enjoyed them. I That's also on my link tree. Yeah. And I'm excited for, this is something I can give you too. Next year is going to be more of interviewing as well. So it'll be my individual podcast with also having different people coming on. Some people that I've been able to meet through social media, some people that I have in my offline life, but expanding that conversation even more. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Portia, I know that you expend an exuberant amount of emotionality and energy and even though you look comfy under that gray fleece blanket with the perfect side angle, <laughs> I know there's a lot going on under there. Thank you. Thank you. you. I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I have perfected my angles and selfies are one of my love languages. So, yes. <laughs> I knew I was going to laugh trying to say that. You use your platform and merge to heal out loud. So those who can't, for, for those who can't, and that should be your tagline. You, you heal out loud for those who can't. That's, That's an amazing exactly tagline. And you should hold it because it's all yours. You're unapologetic about centering Black women, Sims, and yet you are de determined to lead with love. I appreciate that you are not doing anything for the convenience of white bodies. You are doing it for self and centering Blackness. We feel your authenticity and your sincere desire to connect. I appreciate you for coming here. I appreciate your focus. I appreciate your ongoing efforts to change the narrative. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. This is beautiful. I have enjoyed it immensely. Beautiful. I appreciate All you. Right. Thanks All again. Right. Thank you. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. 